0: There were two more murders, fifteen miles well, away we survived, in the we found a, of and lines, a weird, uh-huh. by one is of a weird of- When we think of a cold-hearted serial killer masquerading as an intelligent, charismatic, and well-liked neighbor, the name Ted Bundy usually is the first to come to mind. On August 10, 1933, a man was born who, after you hear his story, may just replace Bundy's when you think of those killers who, in their day-to-day life, would never strike you as a serial killer. So, if you like your coffee hot, but your bones chilled, sit back and start your day with a morning cup of murder. Charles Albright, born August 10, 1933, was adopted by Fred and Del Albright at a young age. And from the beginning, Del wanted to make sure her son had all the best. She pampered him, kept goats in the backyard so he could drink goat's milk, which she deemed superior, changed his clothes two to three times a day to keep him clean, and accelerated his education so successfully he was able to skip two grades. But her mothering was not without its issues. She was obsessive and on one occasion, took him to the polio wing at a Texas hospital so he could see the young kids in iron lungs, all to keep him from touching dog feces. She locked him in dark rooms for time out and when he wouldn't take a nap, tied him to the bed. He got his first gun when he was a teen and showed prowess as a taxidermist, which his mother helped him cultivate. Charles was a bright kid, one that everyone seemed to like spending time with. But he still got himself into a little trouble. By age 13, he was already a petty thief and had been arrested for aggravated assault. Despite these setbacks, he was able to graduate from high school at age 15 and enroll in North Texas University. That love for taxidermy turned into a desire to become a doctor and Charles soon began the pre-med program, which he failed to complete. That's because when he was just 16 years old, he and some friends took part in a student burglary ring that broke into three stores and stole several hundreds of dollars worth of merchandise. He was caught, spent a year in jail, and his chances of becoming a doctor seemed to disappear. Once released, Charles attended the Arkansas State Teachers College in hopes for a new start. He began dating an English major and had plans to marry her and excelled in school once more but he was expelled again after being found in possession of stolen items. Unfazed, Charles simply decided to falsify his degree as opposed to going back to another school. He married that college girl, they had a child, and he began forging checks while working as a high school teacher. He was caught, fired, and placed on probation. His wife left him in 1965, and ten years later, they were officially divorced. He was becoming quite the criminal, But his wonderful personality left those blind to his dark side. By 1981, he was known to babysit his friends and neighbors' children and, while visiting friends, molested their 14-year-old daughter. He pled guilty but was only given probation. Four years later, he began dating a woman named Dixie, who financially supported the couple while he worked as a newspaper delivery man in his Dallas neighborhood. He began using this uninterrupted morning time to meet up with sex workers without a rising suspicion. Because that's the scariest part of men like Charles Albright. They are the picture of happiness, the gentleman, the scholar. No one suspects men of this stature to be a cold-blooded killer. So when sex workers started turning up terribly mutilated, no one suspected Charles Albright and the eyeball killer were one and the same. On December 13, 1990, 33-year-old Mary Lou Pratt was found wearing only a t-shirt and a bra. She'd been shot in the back of the head with a 45 caliber gun, badly beaten, and most shockingly, had her eyeballs removed with surgical precision and missing from the scene. There were no witnesses, no weapon, little forensic evidence, no fingerprints, and, from what investigators could tell, no motive. And the level of skill needed to remove the eyes like that left even the medical examiner baffled. Police began questioning sex workers who operated in this popular area, one of which was a woman named Veronica Rodriguez, who told a story about a man who tried to take her at knife point, but a stranger saved her. They sympathized with her, but knew Veronica was a notorious liar. It wasn't until two days later, when they attempted to arrest her in the cab of an 18-wheeler with a John, that she pleaded with them not to arrest this man, that he was the one who saved her life. They checked his ID and found that the man was named Axton Schindler, of 1035 El Dorado. He denied saving the woman's life, and claimed he was just doing her a favor by giving her a ride. He had no priors, so they let him go, assuming that this was just another one of Veronica's lies. What police didn't know is that they had just let a valuable asset walk away, because Axton was renting a home from a man named Charles Albright. In fact, it was the address that appeared on his ID. Axton was a strange tenant, one that friends told Charles he needed to kick out. But he let him stay, claiming he was ultimately harmless. On February 10, 1991, another victim showed up on the same street Mary Pratt did, She was nearly nude, shot three times, and, of course, her eyeballs were missing. This signature was so specific, investigators knew this was a repeater. Trying to avoid another victim, police began posting flyers around the area asking sex workers to stay off the streets. Calls came pouring in, and when police showed up on the streets, women came clamoring to their car to give them their own near-miss stories as well as giving names of Johns that they thought were viable suspects. Information was leaked that the victims were all Caucasian, so African-American workers felt that they were safe from this eyeball-stealing maniac. On March 10, 1991, they were proven wrong when the killer crossed racial lines and killed Shirley Williams. She was badly beaten and had been shot in the top of the head before having her eyeballs extracted, a small piece of x knife still found in the socket. Running out of leads, police looked into the story that Veronica gave them and searched Axton's address. This led them to a man named Charles Albright. This name sounded familiar to one officer, who explained that he took a call from an anonymous woman claiming to be friends with Mary Pratt. He said that, not long before she died, she'd been briefly dating a very nice man who seemed to have an odd obsession with eyeballs, and kept a large quantity of X-Acto knives in his attic. His name was Charles Albright. Charles was arrested on March 23, 1991, and charged with three counts of murder. His trial began on December 13, 1991, and, despite the case relying almost exclusively on circumstantial evidence... Five days later, he was found guilty of the murder of Shirley Williams and sentenced to five years to life. Charles Albright remains in prison and, to this day, is convinced he is the victim of mistaken identity, that it is his one-time tenant, Axton Schindler, who should be in his jail cell. His friends and neighbors are all inclined to agree. They find it hard to believe that the well-loved Charles could be anything but completely harmless.